the city of Chicago, Mayor Emanuel, for help making this happen today. Welcome back to the News Never Ends. I'm Peter Ronson. I'm Dan Ackerman. And this week we are very lucky to be joined by our guest, Maya Dumasova. I'm sorry. You got it right. <laughs> I got that right. That's perfect. Um, Peter just says I'm sorry anytime yeah. he says someone's last name, yeah. just in case. And I've messed up last names so many times. Who is a reporter for the Chicago Reader and hosts the Backroom Deal podcast. Also uh, a Chicago Reader podcast. Yes, right? which is all about uh, Chicago politics. And she is joining us to uh, discuss what's going on in Chicago politics. Yeah. Our hometown. Thank you so much for joining us, Maya. Thanks for yeah, having thank me. I'm a little bit disappointed. This is the first interview we've done in a while in person, right? Mostly we just have over the phone yeah. ones recently. So we can't like pick our noses and go to the bathroom without well, telling Don't you. stop on my account. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. We wanted to talk to you because there's an election coming up in Chicago, I hear. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. (laughs) So we were just talking before we started recording about how, you know, because the media class is centered in New York and D.C., Uh, And because, you know, I think still America just has this fascination with Tammany Hall and like New York style politics and everything. People hear about New York politics as if it's, you know, on the same scale as national politics. But you never hear about like Chicago or really L.A. or any of the other cities on that kind of fine green level. And people always talk about the mayor of New York running for president. No one ever talks about, well, because it's Rahm Emanuel, I guess. I guess so, yeah. I mean, people people definitely talked about Daly running for president, right? When it was, like, the original Daly. Oh, like Papa Daly? Yeah, Big Papa. I don't know if they talked about it then, to be honest, but I will say that Richard M. Daly, Baby Daly, uh, (laughs) was positively non-presidential in every way. If you have the courage, then stand up and say, I want the CTA to bypass my ward. You'll last about a half a day. They'll have to sign 911 police and fire to protect you and your families. If I put this up your, your butt, you'll find out how effective it is. I said cuckoo once, I'll say it again. Cuckoo. Thank you. But you will not have the courage, you know that. That is state money. Underline that. S-A-T-E money. So I don't think there were really many conversations right. about him running for, for president. And, you know, he I don't, I don't think he ever had any aspirations beyond being mayor of Chicago either. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, just generally, I mean, like Taft, I mean, if you go way back, like Taft came out of like the Ohio machine, but I feel like the Chicago president machine is Taft. just... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who else have I ever talked about? <laughs> uh, you know, just like where do presidents get made? I feel like, you know, there used to be kind of a Midwest machine and now right. they're more like power brokers. Like they'll host the... Well, other than Barack Obama. Yeah. Right. Which, who is a product of the Chicago... Yeah, totally. Chicago crucible of, of local politics. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not like local people of, of local importance are not necessarily known on the national stage, but they're not, they're not unimportant. I mean, Illinois is a really important state in democratic politics in general. So I feel like... It doesn't have that kind of place in the popular imagination that places like Iowa or New Hampshire do because of the, you know, because of the primaries. But there's a lot of kingmaker type operators in Illinois, I think. Absolutely. And the feedback loop goes the other direction, too. Like Rom came out of the Chicago, the uh, Obama White House and 
you know, the next daily, like the third Duvalier generation. Uh, if there's like Papa Doc Daily, <laughs> Baby Daily, and now Baby got, Baby Daily, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Who Bill. I call Armani Daily. <laughs> uh, but I've also started hearing people refer to him as Dollar Bill Daily, which I I, I like that as well. No, but I mean, Rahm Emanuel was a mayor, was a Richard M. Daly guy before he was ever an Obama guy. Like he ca- he came up in the machine locally, uh, and he was a prodigiously successful um, money guy. Basically, he was really good at fundraising. So. It was because of what he did for Richard M. Daly that um, that he became a, a person of import, and I think that's how he got ended up getting hooked up with the Bill Clinton campaign as well mm-hmm. through through the Daly connection. Was he an alderman? Was Ron Emanuel? Yeah. No, no, no. He was a congressman, but mm-hmm. later. Uh, but but he was a he was a fundraiser. He was a Democratic Party fundraiser who was very very good at that and worked for Richard M. Daly and then for Bill for Bill Clinton's. I'm pretty sure for on his first on Bill Clinton's first campaign even, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And I believe when he was a congressman, he was representing where we are now more or less. Was he uh, Mike Quigley's seat basically? Yeah, yeah. This is this may be Jan Schakowsky's district. I should know this because was, she. Well, I'm, I'm just sure. since she. I think she is sometimes doing stuff with Kappelman, the alderman here. Mm. So I think this is her district still. Who I spoke to last night. James Kappelman. Yeah, he called me up. Oh yeah. And we, uh, talking about kingmakers. Yeah. To talking about what? <laughs> um, I had called like a week ago. They called me like a week ago, and I told them I was undecided. So last night. He called me. Personally? Yeah. And he's spoke to me for a while. He spoke to me for like close to 10 minutes and I was the one who was like, I have to go. What, did he, what was he saying to you? Did you ask him any questions? Uh, so the only question I asked him was where he stood on legalizing marijuana. <laughs> what issue over here? Yeah. What did he say? Um, he said he supported it, but then he was like, he was like, well, I support it and, and I know people who have... Uh, like had cancer and have gotten prescribed. Marijuana. Oh, I thought he was going to say like people who have lit up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I have friends who get high. I don't judge them. Tupac and uh, <laughs> Snoop. Um, he, but then, and I just didn't really get into it. But he, he, he framed it very much as legalizing medical marijuana, and I didn't really like push him. Like, well, what about recreational marijuana? Mm. Uh, so a little. Were unclear. you nervous? Was it like weird? <laughs> were, you, were you starstruck? Um. Did what he, kind of impression did he make on you? Did he say, like, nice shirt you're wearing? Like, was he watching you from outside? He was very charming. He was very personable. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I was impressed that he wanted to talk for that long. And I don't think I'm going to vote for him. I don't know him that well. I still need to do my research. But, uh, yeah, I was impressed that he, uh, how many people is he calling? I mean, that's, yeah. I think that that to me speaks of him feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Because, I mean, he sat there a week ago, was it a week ago? Or like two weeks ago when I was interviewing him and I asked him if he, what he would do if he lost. And he sat there and gave me this whole spiel about how, you know, look, all the wonderful things he's done for this ward. And then he said, you know, I wouldn't want to be running against me right now. But he's got five challengers who all have a very similar platform, right. and between the five of them, they've they've coll- they collected more signatures from people nominating them to the ballot than he did. So I think I don't know. He's got to be feeling the heat. That's if he's calling people personally, undecided yeah. voters personally, he's got to be feeling the heat. So uh, that was another thing he said to me. He was like characterizing his position, and he said like, "I am definitely left, but everyone who's running against me is much further left." And I mean, I didn't push him on it. Did he tell like, you he was a social worker? 
No, he didn't. Oh, I don't think he, he did. reminds people was of he? that. Yeah, yeah he um, was a social worker. But that struck me as a bad line, and I guess he he must think he knows the people in his area. But like, I don't know. I feel like he should have. <laughs> I'm not someone who, uh, you know, finds that appealing to to not be the most left candidate generally. <laughs> I mean, is like that, generally I will just vote for the most left candidate. Right. Is that the only way he can distinguish himself is like, I am the only not really left person running. I mean, I don't know what he knows about you, but usually he's what I've seen. I've seen him perform in front of like condo owners in East Lakeview. Mm. And there he got, you know, real, real hot on how much wonderful technology local police now have to surveil people's license plates and that he understood that these people's um investment uh their 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 property that they own in these buildings or is really important to them and the central issue in this particular building was um that there is going to be another giant condo building potentially built right in front of their building obscuring their panoramic views of the lake and um, people there are, are really concerned about it. So he was, uh, he, I don't know. It seemed like he, he they felt heard. <laughs> so let's take a step back just for a second. Because yeah. if you're not from we're Chicago, <laughs> like uptown, you might not know what we're talking about <laughs> at all. Yeah. So first of all, like, why are they called aldermen? You know? Yeah, and wards. <laughs> and wards. Yeah, so why is it like Louisiana time. over here? Yeah. This, these are, wow, you guys really didn't warn me you were going to ask me these kind of questions. <laughs> I have no idea. But I think, but aldermen, aldermen are like um i mean there's uh, city this council is like a, people right yeah they're they're so they're all the aldermen so for those out there who are not familiar so chicago is divided into 50 wards so they're like little kind of districts within the city and each ward has an alderman which is the district that that wards uh representative in city council and i actually think that alder uh alder alder person alderman is kind of a midwestern thing because i know in wisconsin they also have their city council people are called aldermen so hmm. i i don't know why that's not used in the rest of the country but it's yeah it's a weird old-timey word so so these so the str- the strange thing about these these aldermen is that they're both incredibly like these are the people you go to like if you need a trash can or a tree trimmed or your street cleaned like these are people who are the kind of stewards of city services to the population. If someone gives you like words. New York style relish on your hot dog, you go to your own. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 You file issue. a complaint against that business. Yeah. If you some if if you see a business selling hot dogs with ketchup on them, oh. you, you can file a complaint with your alderman. Yeah. If you need a liquor license, you like you know. So so the alder the, the interesting thing uh, the other interesting thing about the system in Chicago is that compared to like New York where the city council members are representing districts that have like more than 100,000 people in them each, like very large swaths of the population. In Chicago, uh, every alder person is representing something like 57,000 people. So uh, the wards here are actually much smaller. And so people, ordinary people living in the city have like much more of a possible relationship and proximity to their city council member than people in a place like New York. So, um, or, or Los Angeles. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, in the past they've been called like the 50 little mayors. They are the legislators of the city of Chicago. And the other thing is that like, despite being in, in, in many ways, these like 
very provincial parochial figures. They are the legislators of the third largest city in the country and a city that has uh, import on the national stage and where like things that they approve of as policies sometimes morph into national policy, like on education, like on other issues, like these, these folks are not inconsequential, like their decisions carry uh, beyond Chicago, for sure. So yeah, so, so that those are, that's, that's the all that and we've got an election coming up in a week. And we're going to be deciding on who our new mayor is going to be, but also almost every single one of the 50 wards in the city has a contested election for aldermen. And this is the general election, right? I think some people get confused because Chicago is basically a one-party city that we don't have primaries, really. Yeah, we don't. We have non the the, the election for municipal seats. So mayor, city treasurer, city clerk, and then the the fifty aldermen and any kind of city. Well, that doesn't really matter. But uh, anyway, the election for those executive seats and those those city council seats, they're all nonpartisan. So, you know, usually in February or March, we have an election and there is a runoff if, for example, that nobody who's running for mayor or for alderman in their ward gets more than 50% of the vote. You need 50% plus one vote in order to win. So if nobody gets that, there will be a runoff for the two top vote getters. So currently in Chicago, there's 14 people running for mayor they're on the ballot to be mayor to, to, to run for mayor so the latest polling is that like the two top polling candidates are each getting like 13 and 14 percent of 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 um support out there in the polls so like there's most definitely going to be a runoff and then a lot of these wards are very likely going to have runoffs as well including i i i would predict that this ward here that we're in right now will have a runoff as well. Yeah, since we have 80 people running it. Yeah, there's Who like, does it seem like the strongest challengers are in the 46? Uh, so so the, the person that has the most resources is Erica Wozniak-Francis. She's actually, I saw a bunch of her leaflets downstairs in your lobby. She's um, um, endorsed by a lot of progressive groups. She's endorsed by a lot of progressive elected officials. She's a CC, uh, she's a CPS teacher, a public school teacher, and sort of has a lot of progressive institutional backing and financial backing from progressive groups. Then but, why do I see this <laughs> Carper poster posted in my neighborhood that has uh, Kappelman and Wozniak crossed out on it? So this is interesting because... You know, th- this is for, this is a poster from the Chicago Lines Against Racist Political Repression. Right. So Erica may not be for CPAC, which is this civilian police accountability platform that's been advanced in Chicago for years now. And in this election in particular, there's just a lot of pressure to elect city council members who are going to support this particular method of civilian oversight of the police. So she has she's come out against the COP Academy, which is like this $95 million project where the city wants to build a brand new facility to train police. And uh, a lot of aldermen are also being asked whether or not they support that. So she, I know she doesn't support the COP Academy, but perhaps she's, um, she has not stated that she supported CPAC in the past, so which is why they're saying not to vote for her. But I just want, my point was only saying yeah. that like she's got a lot of She's 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 got the most money and the most sort of like bodies possibly able to turn out to door knock for her to 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 send reinforcement her way. So but she's a podcaster. She does she has like a yeah, live show podcast, uh curl the 
called Girl Talk. She's kind of become this sort of minor celebrity figure in Chicago progressive circles in the last few years. She's like very, she's been opposing TIF deals for tax increment, increment financing deals for a long time and waged some sort of one woman crusade against the DePaul University basketball arena that was constructed with taxpayer dollars through that program a few, you know, that there was a few years back that she waged this campaign. But what I was going to say is that I actually think that the other two women running, I would say that like there's like, to me, it's like a toss up which one of the three of them are going to end up being in the, in, you know, potentially forcing a runoff with Kaplan because Angela Clay, who was the only black candidate um, running and she'd be the first black alderman of this ward, she's really deeply rooted in this community and knows it very well. And though she doesn't have, she hardly has any money at all, I think she may be able to like turn out a base that gets her to the, you know, to get her to that runoff. And then Marianne Lalonde, who's a, like a, a scientist, a chemist who's running, she doesn't have as much institutional support or money. She's got an endorsement from Lori Lightfoot, one of the mayoral candidates, but she's got like, she's very connected with sort of community groups, especially like, like kind of like middle-class and working class community groups in the ward that are, you know, those people turn out to vote. So I think she's won a lot of their hearts. So. It'll be interesting to see. Fascinating. I definitely feel like the progressive grassroots, that is just like the people I know in this neighborhood, uh, have rallied around Angela Clay. That mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah, and, same. And, I've, I've seen that too. Yeah. And I think it was in the Girl, I Guess, Voter Guide. Like they clearly picked Angela Clay as the best yeah. option out of the 800 people running. Yeah. Do you know, like, in terms of policy, is there anything that distinguishes her in particular? Angela? Yeah. I mean, she's for, she's, she's, she's got all the sort of progressive sort of staples down, um, you know, no cop academy, she's for CPAC, she's for an elected school board, you know, she, but, but what, I, what distinguishes me from her, for me, from talking to all of them is, is that she really wants to return a kind of style of politics that existed in this community for a really long time with the alderman Ellen Sh- Helen Schiller, Schiller, who was the alderman here for like 25 years before James Kaplan. And I know you've talked about Helen Schiller on your podcast on Backdoor Deal mm-hmm. and, you know... Backroom Deal. Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Back, backdoor Deal is a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, me and James Kaplan have that after this. We're, we're um, you should cut that out. <laughs> Yeah, real nice, yeah. He's gay. I know. I'm gay, so I can... Oh, okay. I know. Like, how many people do you think hear me say faggot on this podcast? And they're like, wow, I'm never... You know, Dan is canceled. <laughs> um, you are going to get canceled with that now. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, we were talking about Helen Schiller. Right, On yes. the podcast, yeah. Yeah. So, she... So, Helen Schiller is was like this kind of populist hero here locally and really fought to keep uptown a place that was that could be a home for people of you know of all income levels of kind of all class backgrounds and a lot of people viewed her as being like anti-development and kind of too leftist or whatever but I but but she had from everything I've ever heard about her she was a responsive kind of passionate leader for this community who understood you know the people here and their needs and um in the end towards the end of her tenure she sort of gave in a little bit on her resistance on citywide issues um and became less of an she was like a real obstructionist to Mayor Richard M. Daley for a very long time and then sort of 
gave in on on that independence and got some kind of good things in return for it for the, for for the ward uh, particularly the development here near the Wilson Red Line stop, the Target and, and affordable housing up above of it. That was something, that was like the last big thing that she accomplished for mm-hmm. the ward. And people say that she sort of started be going easier on the mayor after that got accomplished. So And she like voted for um, having the Olympics in Chicago or yeah. at least applying. I don't think they had the Olympics here, did they? No. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> That would have been terrible. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, to me, like, Angela stands out because uh, she sort of understands this legacy. She had worked for one of Sh- Helen Schiller's campaigns back when she was in high school. And I just think that she could, she's like, not that any of these other ca- candidates would do a bad job of being, like, a responsive elected official for the local population. But to me, there's something about having a representative that really knows the community and has lived the experiences that people in this community have lived like she's lived in subsidized housing she she like knows the why it's important to keep uptown a place that still has affordable housing and single room occupancy buildings and stuff so right yeah and i know just from listening to back room deal that <laughs> uh that this is a neighborhood that i mean this is a ward that historically has had more at least before the uh, you know uh the devastation caused by Rom had more mental health facilities, uh, like public housing, things like that. And this is also the ward where the Stewart School lofts are. Yeah. Right. We were just talking about that. And where right Uptown here. Theater is. Uptown Theater is yeah. uh, is and always will be. Right. Like. Yeah. It it it, it was, was and will be now again. It's not, and it will be soon. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, supposed to start yeah. redevelopment of that soon. Which I wonder if James Kaplan told you about that. He did not mention it. Oh, yeah. It's another crowning achievement for him. He's yeah. leading this revival of Uptown as an entertainment district. But, but yeah, the Stewart School lofts are like a perfect example of, like, it's sort of this most egregious and Baroque representation of, like, what is going on in the city. Like, it is, there is nothing that more perfectly captures the dynamics of, like, poor and black people getting pushed out and like rich people and developers getting the run of the town essentially the Stewart Stewart elementary school is this uh element cps public elementary school that is located across the street from that from that target i was just talking about and it was just a regular neighborhood school that over the years lost a lot of enrollment and eventually it was one of the 50 schools that were closed by Rahm Emanuel in 2013 and then a developer <laughs> bought it and rehab the building as the Stewart School lofts and now the classrooms are apartments that rent for like two three four thousand dollars a month and some of them still have the chalkboard yeah yes and yeah. some of the accoutrements of the school like like the mascot uh and the gym are like still part of the building oh, we actually had at the reader an intern um uh last summer um matthew harvey who went to that school as a kid and they had had an open house over the summer so he went to the open house and like saw what his school has had become Uh and wrote like a fascinating essay about it um you guys can see it on our our website chicagoreader.com um and um 
a couple of his teachers were also there during that open house. People who had lost their jobs because of the school closures. And it was just really sad because he said, you know, as he wrote in the story, nobody he knew who went to that school with him would have would ever be able to afford to live in that apartment. And, um, you know, they're, they're beautiful, but it's, uh, it's really... It's really kind of a sad state of affairs. Absolutely. And I know this was a more recent development, this Church of the Advent in Logan Square. Did you see about this? was also turned into these luxury apartments. So okay. uh, you have like these huge, you know, open plants. Oh, no, floors. I saw something about this. Yeah, but they've still got the stained glass windows as your window. I mean, they look gorgeous, right? Like, here's another one. This couch. Yeah. But yeah, it's obviously... You know, the basis kind of tramplism in gentrification is just like turning right. these community spaces at one time into your nice apartment that's obviously very expensive. There's that orphanage that like still in New Orleans, it's become, uh, you know, gentrified apartments and it's still the building they still refer to as the orphanage. Like, uh, uh, that's a materials. really creepy element of gentrification is that it like the fact that people are moving into this uh, public school that was like shut down is actually a sign of authenticity mm-hmm. and like no leave the chalkboard up it like it, it adds character mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's exactly how the promoters the developer of this building talked about it gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, it's really bone-chilling. I know, it's like those in Spain, like the uh, buildings that used to be hammams and then became, like, uh, mikvahs and now are trendy restaurants. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, cool. Yeah, so that's the 46th Ward. Peter and I like to think of ourselves as the official podcast yeah. of the 46th Though Ward. clearly we won't be if uh, Erica Wozniak wins. I guess so, yeah. she will have the power to make her own podcast the official podcast of the 46th Ward. Although her podcast happens in the, in, in the second Ward. Carpetbagger. Wow. Get her out of here. Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> How long has she been podcasting here? <laughs> It's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's like a live show podcast that happens at the hideout, which is in the second ward. Mm. And also at the epicenter of this possible Lincoln Yards development. Exactly, yeah. So that might be a good transition into... <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> right, yeah, not for long. Well, yeah, we are supporting the Lincoln Yards development just to push your podcast out. <laughs> So we first saw you, Maya, on stage at the hideout at Monkey Wrench, uh, the show. It's run by a friend of the pod, our Singh. And uh, you, you know, we're talking about Chicago politics, the race is going on. And, you know, Monkey Wrench and all the shows that regularly appear there uh, with it are in a fight for their lives right now with this major development project yeah. that's going on. And it's such a great venue. It's like such a classic Chicago space. It's a really cool bar. And they've been like a, a punk bar for... Like, since the 80s, at least. Yeah, exactly. The owner yeah. of the bar is this uh, kind of old, balding guy. I hope he you know, doesn't mind me <laughs> calling him balding. Yeah, uh, and he, you know, like, every time there's a comedy show there, which is the only thing I've gone to see <laughs> there, he gets up on stage for, like, 20 minutes beforehand and talks about how he only wanted a music bar, but all these, you know, socialists <laughs> came over and wanted to do comedy there. So, yeah, I mean, it's because, like... Robert Flanagan, another person we've had on the pod, another friend of the pod, he, you know, calls it the only good bar in Chicago and has these tweets about, you know, fantasizing about comedians chaining themselves to the hideout before the bulldozers come. But yeah, I mean, that whole neighborhood, which it is, it's it's like classic Chicago. It's, you know, just west of the river. It's this kind of weird, empty industrial area. And, uh, I mean, it's it's the eye of the hurricane for a lot of this gentrification fight. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what is a TIFF, first of okay. all? Okay. 
<laughs> so a tax increment financing district is essentially an imagined mapped out district on a, on the map of a community and what creating the district does is it essentially there's an assessment of how much property taxes are being generated within the boundaries of the district so for those who don't sort of have a good grasp on how municipal government and financing works when Ooh, you're if standing, you don't, why are you listening to this podcast? I mean, if you, so this is like super, it's like c- complicated, but really important. So, so any, like, say you're like standing somewhere in the city of Chicago at any given point, like right now, where we are right now, we are, if we owned this building, we would be paying property taxes to a variety of local government units. So the city of Chicago is taxing us in order to pay for street cleaning and snow plowing and the police and like all of these other city services. The Cook County is taxing this property in order to pay for the courts, for the hospital system, for, you know, the sheriff's office to operate for the jail. Chicago Public Schools, which is its own financially independent entity, even though we don't have an elected school board, and the mayor of Chicago appoints everyone that runs the Chicago Public School District. Financially, it's its own independent entity, and it taxes it when you get your property tax bill. It taxes you as a separate line item. And it so, even has a CEO, right? They yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, which is called the superintendent in every other place. It's just right, yeah. called the CEO. So, so the Chicago Public Schools are going to be taxing you for you know to run the schools, and then there's like a bunch of different small local government government units like the water reclamation district, like park districts, like the library and city colleges may have their own taxing district. And basically, so in every any point that where you stand in the city, you are at the intersection and overlap of all these different local government units that feed off your property taxes. So when a tax increment financing district is created, you know, the, the, the actually the county is the one that assesses this. But so the county figures out, okay, like as of this date, let's say February 20th, 2019, the, the, all of the property within this district generates X amount of money that's then divvied up between all of these different local government units that I just described. So then start going forward for the next 23 years, any surplus property tax revenue that may be generated in this within the boundaries of the district. So say a new building gets built on a vacant lot next door that's now going to be generating property taxes or say the neighborhood, you know, the, the, the property values go up because over time they do. And so the, there's more taxes being generated. So the TIF district, any surplus property tax revenue that's generated after today's date will be pooled in a TIF fund and will no longer go to all of these different entities to fund your schools, and to fund your public hospital. Those green and libraries. Libraries, parks, for your streets to be cleaned. Instead, that surplus money can is then basically used by the city for what they want. And what it's supposed to be used for is to stimulate economic development in blighted, quote-unquote, areas. So places where there is not a lot of incentive for private development to happen on its own, so that the, these this TIF funding is supposed to generate some basically 
goodies that that the city can offer developers to say, hey, like, you know, we can basically sweeten the deal if you agree to build your thing in, you know, a place where, like, nothing is happening, essentially. (laughs) However, what actually happens is that a lot of these TIF funds in Chicago are not diverted to development in blighted areas at all, in, in places that really need it. They're diverted into the hands of developers who essentially are getting paid by the city to build developments that are already going to be profitable for them in areas where there's already going to be development happening anyway. So essentially, a lot of people see TIF TIF districts and TIF financing as this like powerful tool for gentrification because you can like coax a develop if if, if you if in a gentrifying neighborhood where there's going to be a lot of property tax revenue growth in that 25 years that the district exists like you can coax a lot people are developers are already already going to want to come into those areas because they're gentrifying areas but this way the city essentially sweetens the deal for them they in exchange you know the developers give money to politicians and wealth continues to be concentrated in the same areas so the lincoln yards deal is probably i mean the latest most egregious example of this but it happens all the time on the smaller scale i mean just here in this in this ward in uptown there is a building that got like 15 million dollars in tiff funding from that james kappelman approved and pushed through so this this developer got $15 million that could have otherwise gone to the schools and the parks, etc., to build this building. They are, in return, returning something like $2 million into oh. it, through the property taxation into you know back into the municipal governments, and they gave like a bunch of money to James Kaplan. Right. So we are paying developers in order to give us less property tax money to fund our public services. Right. It sounds like, I mean, when you started describing them, I was going to say they sound like mini Amazon HQ2 deals. Yeah. But they actually sound way worse. No, I mean, but it is the same idea. It's like you're paying people. Some people have described it, and then this is absolutely no shade to sex workers, but like as a pro, like a, a type of municipal prostitution that's happening. They're, the city is paying wealthy developers to build things that then they are not going to tax. <laughs> so it's, you know, su- supposedly the justification is that it improves neighborhoods and brings jobs and all this other crap. But like, in reality, we are just further eroding our property tax revenue. So the Lincoln Yards deal is egregious because of its scale. And the latest figure that I've seen is something like that this would be like a $900 million TIF deals. That that the developer Sterling Bay, then these are people who are very clicked up with Rahm Emanuel, our current mayor, that they would get $900 million to build this gigantic, sprawling, like square, multiple square mile area of high-rise buildings and entertainment venues owned by Live Nation and... There was supposed to be a soccer arena, but now like that part of it is going to change because the local alderman in the second in the second ward didn't want that. But like, there's just this this is like this this will like massively alter a, a huge swath of the city in a part of town that is not blighted. Like that is not that right. that's not lacking in economic activity. And when you say they're very closely associated with Rahm Emanuel, isn't his brother involved in this deal? Yeah, this is uh, Rahm's brother. I'm reading from this WBEZ mm-hmm. article now. Rahm's brother. Act What's that? I just did my Ira Glass. <laughs> Act one. <laughs> 
stories about people who have lost fingers and their relatives. <laughs> Rob's brother, Hollywood talent agent Ari Emanuel. What was involved with convincing Jeremy Piven to play Ari? Um, the first treatment I ever wrote was said Jeremy Piven playing my old agent, Jeff Jacobs, before I had ever met Ari Emanuel. Where'd you get that one, huh? Josh Weinstein? A little insecure, Ari? Yeah. Uh, how'd you get it? A turtle found it on the subway. What's it matter? We want to do it. Serves on the board of directors of Ticketmaster slash Live Nation. Mm -hmm. You know, this huge monopoly that... Wasn't Ticketmaster the one we found out recently was, like, also doing the scalping on their own ticket sales? I don't know. Yeah, because they own StubHub or something? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like a totally uh, vertically integrated monopoly, uh, the ticket racket. And then there was that huge settlement and everybody could go see Pantera for free. <laughs> <laughs> redistribute Pitbull's shows. <laughs> but uh, it was like in Downers Grove and nobody has a car to get there. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like a perfect encapsulation of like trying to use the legal system to like fight corporations. <laughs> um, what's more, Ari's agency... Yeah. What's more, Ari's agency, William Morris Endeavor owns 50% of Lollapalooza, which has a tax and competition-free deal keeping it in Grant Park through 2018. I guess this is from a little while ago. Uh, I'm sure it's been renewed. Uh, and no fewer than 15 William Morris employees have donated a total of $141,000 to Rom's campaign. So, yeah, when you say, you know, they're very in with Rom's people, I mean, they are Rom's brother. <laughs> yeah. In what ways was that character actually based off of the super agent, Ari Emanuel? Yeah, and I want to fuck Angelina Jolie. The only difference is I might actually have a shot. When we pitched the show into HBO, it was me and Steve Levinson, my agent at the time, and Ari. And that was the first time I ever met the guy. And it was after that meeting that I said, this is the character, you know, the things that were coming out of his mouth. Oh, well, we don't have a shot? No. You wonder why? They're out to a guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, his name is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is gonna play Pablo Escobar? Oh, come on, the guy's not even Hispanic. Yeah, and Hilary Swank has a vagina, and she won an Oscar pretending she has a dick. That's what actors do. They pretend. And I don't think people realize when they're going to Lollapalooza that they're supporting the Emmanuel dynasty and this archetypal version of Chicago corruption, too. What does the real Ari say about, I mean, I guess when the first season started, he must have had something to say about how you were playing his character. Was he shocked or surprised or annoyed? I think, and I could be wrong, you tell me, but I think he's very, uh, shockingly, I, I think he's flattered. He loves it. <laughs> I think he loves it. Uh, apparently, he is uh, using our quotes in his daily life. <laughs> <laughs> and also, two backstories about that guy, I mean, the real Ari called from a plane in China and said, Jeremy Piven plays me or take my name off it. I mean, <laughs> did he really say 100% true story. Jeremy Piven plays me or... Now you're going to say, is stealing Larry David's show the same as child, child pornography? pornography on the you know internet. something? I don't... You know something? Stealing is a bad thing, and child pornography is a bad I thing. I agree. We're okay, in agreement great. on that. Thank you. We're in agreement on that. Thank you. But, but, but... What we're not in agreement on is, is I love this. Here he comes. can't tear up the road so people can't get you, your house. You know something? You need to sit down. That's a bad example. Okay? Does, That's a bad example. I, do you guys think it's a bad example? Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Go sit down and then think of something else and come back up and I'll scream at you again. Okay. Well, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just going to all loses and bad taste on so many fronts. <laughs> yeah. That not being the least of them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Malia Obama can't have fun? 
We were all young ones. <laughs> this is a, totally a tangent, but I heard about like a friend of a friend who went to Lollapalooza, and their plan to like sneak booze into <laughs> the venue. They, I don't know if this is true or not. I want it to be true. They went to Grant Park like two weeks before the event, and, and they, they buried a hole. <laughs> and they buried their booze under. <laughs> In a hole in Grant Park, and then oh they went God. in. Did they find the booze? As I heard it, they found the booze. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, they were squirrels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I imagine it's like exactly like squirrels, yeah. where like there's just tons of drugs buried under the desert in California, and like mm-hmm. some of the Coachella people find them again, and others don't. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so the the thing about the t- the this Lincoln Yards thing is that it, it is that is nine hundred million dollars that. Would if the, if this got approved and went through, which they're they're planning a vote on it in March. So before the runoffs, where a lot of the people who are Rom's ally in city council could feasibly lose their seats in April in the runoff. So before the runoffs, they are planning a vote on this when Rom is still there and all his buddies are still there on city council, all his rubber stamp buddies who are just going to vote for whatever he tells them to, which now there's a lot of outrage about it. I don't know, maybe maybe there's going to be some success in blocking that vote, but people assumed that it might happen during the lame duck session between the runoffs in April and when the, all the new elected officials take office in May. But there's a movement afoot to try to delay all of this for consideration under the new you know, in the new executive and legislative administrations. Right. I think I read that Rahm Emanuel has never lost a city council election. He's never lost a city council vote, rather. Yeah, I mean, but that was true for Daly, too, I think. I mean, they just, they, they, the the city is like, (laughs) everything, every alderman has this kind of customary thing called aldermanic prerogative. Which is this way, which is like, it's, it's not an actual like city law, but essentially it's like, if an alderman wants something in their ward, or doesn't want something in their ward, and it, the, the, you know, say it's like a development of some sort, um, if the development comes before the city council for a vote, and usually that happens because like, say, a zoning change is needed, and, um, you know, say a developer buys a, uh, a bunch of parcels of land and the parcels are zoned for residential development, but this developer wants to build like a factory or a, a big box store or something like that. If the local alderman approves of the project, then the necessary zoning change will just happen in city council and everybody will vote for it because... The idea is that there's this, this kind of courtesy among aldermen that, like, you know, nobody, if, if somebody wants something in their ward, uh, the other aldermen aren't going to vote against it because that's not their business. And if they don't want it, then, you know, the alderman is supposed to side with the alderman who says, like, no, I don't want this in my ward. However, all of this is, like, goes completely out the window when it comes to stuff the mayor wants. If the mayor wants something in your ward, like, it's very rare that an alderman is going to oppose it. And if the mayor doesn't, and if, and if the mayor doesn't want something to happen, again, like people are just going to vote with the mayor. And the reason for that is, is not as, is often repeated that, you know, aldermen are afraid to lose the mayor's favor, you know, because they're afraid that they're not going to get city services or development deals in their wards. Like, that's complete bullshit. Like, the, the reason they want to stay on the mayor's good side is because the mayor funds many of their re-election campaigns. 
and is usually the most significant source of funding for their campaigns. So, so I think this is a good opportunity to move into the machine and yeah. the stakes of the election coming up. And this mayoral race caught everyone by surprise a little bit because everyone is expecting Rahm Emanuel to run. Yeah. So until last fall, the assumption was that he would run again, and there were already some challengers lining up early this year and, you know, people who came forward to say that they were going to run against him. So people expected this to be a pretty heated election either way because Rom's mm. popularity has really tanked in much of the city. You know, that these TIF deals being a big reason why, the, the school closures, the mental health clinic closures... And of course, there's a list of 16 reasons why. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Right. Laquan McDonald. Yeah. Right. Shooting and the subsequent cover up. Right. So then in in the fall, very unexpectedly, he announces that he's not going to run. I think today's event, while celebrating 177 years of rich history, talks to the talks. Money for kids, not for cops, no cop academy. Money for kids, not for cops, no cop academy. I didn't realize there were these many direct flights. I'm done. Especially yesterday. And all of a sudden, all of these other people, it was just like chaos. All these other people threw their hats into the ring. And now we have a ballot with 14 candidates on them. And like half of them are like dud candidates who aren't getting anywhere. But a good other half of them are are people who sort of may stand a chance. And uh, it, it's, yeah, it's this is probably the most significant and important election in in Chicago history, modern Chicago history. I, I mean, since Harold Washington, basically. This is the most important election here probably in 30 years, because more than 30 years, because there's a possibility of having, setting an, an, a very different tone for how business is done in the city going forward, and um, combined with what's happening with these city council races and what kind of energy, uh, kind of progressive energy is pulsing through a lot of these races is we could, we could really kind of open a new chapter in city history. So there's a lot at stake. Yeah. So uh, to get more into detail with the mayoral race, basically I was trying to, it, it is hard to, you know, group these 14 people. Yeah, that's running. amazing. And there used to be more. Uh, I want to talk to you if you have, uh, you know, if you're interested in it, uh, talk about Jamal Green for a second uh, in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he but... was, a, I was, I was, that was the only candidate who I was excited about. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like I didn't know about him until he was pushed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe we, maybe we can talk about him first, just to not tease people. He's still a right, he's still a right-in candidate. Right. Um, but, yeah, he was just uh, this young guy who's active with uh, Black Lives Matter and a lot of the other movements, grassroots movements in the city. And uh, he was one of the earliest people to announce to run. And um, 23 years old, yeah. right, like uh, has talked about, you know, is for abolishing the TIF system altogether, uh, is on board for CPAC and all kinds of radical reforms to the police. I think yeah. is basically a police abolitionist. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, it would be fair to, to call him that. And, you know, was talking about corporate head tax before anybody else, the South Street tax. So taxing financial transactions real estate transfer tax, taxing uh, high high value real estate sales. 
So just all kind of, like a, a solid tax the rich platform, basically. And but he just I mean, he like really had no money or institutional backing and had a bunch of petition challenges, which in Chicago, this is like the, it's like the first round of running for office is getting on the ballot. And it's extraordinarily hard to get on the ballot because you have to collect 12,500 signatures from registered voters in the city who haven't signed for anybody else. They, they, so these these signatures are to nominate you to the ballot, and then people get knocked off the ballot all the time for all kinds of stupid technicalities. Like, and there's like a whole machine in place that people like pr- challenge other candidates like almost professionally. Like they hire an army of people to challenge every signature and sit for days at the board of elections, saying like this signature isn't valid, this signature isn't valid, this signature isn't valid. And yeah, I think he just yeah he got tuckered out and ran out of money probably and just could see the you know writing on the wall that he really didn't stand a chance. Um, I mean, I really hope that's not this isn't the end of his kind of attempt to get into elected office. Um, I almost think that maybe next time he would have a good shot at at running for alderman in in wherever in the city that he lives. So yeah, yeah. And so what I've heard as kind of the rule of thumb is yeah, that basically. And I think it varies. You know, I think Jamal Green needs more than this than other people do. But that basically you need about three times the required amount of signatures if you even want to stand a chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so you had people filing like 30,000 signatures, you know, um, which is absurd. Uh, and most... Yeah, they have to be forged. Yeah, there's a lot of forgery. There's people get paid to circulate these petitions which then, you know, they have, like, people sign multiple times. There's, yeah, there's a lot of shady dealings going on. And it's, again, just like, you know, we have this funky system in which we have, like, city council members representing very small constituencies. It's, like, harder to get on a ballot in in Chicago than, like, in any city in the country. Like, it's, it's, like, so much more difficult than in L.A. or New York. But you have to admit, it guarantees a good quality of candidates. So, for example, I basically, and you can correct me if you feel like I'm off base with this, but I basically divided the candidates who are running into three groups. The first group is just the don't care about them. These are, like, John Koslar... Jerry Joyce, LaShawn Ford, Bob Fioretti, and, you know, some of these people are more fun on here than others, like uh, Willie Wilson is the Republican who's running. He doesn't call himself a Republican, but he was for Rauner and Trump. Mm -hmm. There's the, who's the, um, oh, uh, Gary Chico, who actually, like, has, you know, uh, he's shown up pretty high on the polls. He's, like, the party candidate. And not, like, the party candidate, like, the party candidate. Like, he's the one for casinos (laughs) and legalized weed. He's well, he, so he, I don't know, how long have you guys lived in the city? Uh, since 2012 for me? Uh, yeah, since 2015. Yeah, and I've lived here since 2013, and, I mean, so, to relative newcomers like us, Jerry Chico doesn't mean much, but he's not a nobody. Like, he's not, he, he's got, he's definitely not in the same, uh, anywhere near in the same league of nobody as John Kosler. You got know what it. I mean? Like, hmm. he's... He used to be the CEO of CPS in the 90s mm-hmm. and um, is has run for mayor multiple times. Never won an elected position that he's run for, but he's fairly well known as you know in the city of Chicago, and I think he's got somewhat of a base. And I hear he's a nice guy. That's all about it, hmm. all I can say for him. I don't I, you know I don't I don't think he has a very meaningful platform. I don't think he's got uh, much of a chance uh, with. He's not he's not netting that big money. He's not netting the institutional machine, you know, Democratic Party support. But 
he's um, he's sort of a perennial candidate. Mm. Would you say there is a front runner in this race? Is that Bill Daly? Uh, well, let me let me uh, say the rest of the group. So uh, the <laughs> other one is the conservatives, and uh, you know the ones with the big chances. So Bill Daly, Susanna Mendoza, Susanna Mendoza, um, and just for kicks, I don't think he has a real shot of winning. But I would put Gary McCarthy in that camp too. That he's like a you know notable conservative who's running. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's now against the Cop Academy, which is shocking. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and has... <laughs> he taught the cops enough. He, yeah. He taught I them mean, well. He's... Uh, all of these people are, like... To call them conservatives is kind of funny, because, you know, compared to the rest of the country, these people are uh, really not conservative, other than maybe Gary McCarthy. But um, they're, 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 main, they're very mainstream, traditional... Uh, tra- traditional kind of uh, politicians, like they're not, they're not like radical lefties, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, Susanna Mendoza, and we can get more into detail with these people, but she's, you know, widely considered the wrong candidate. That she's like the selected successor, I would say. Bill Daly, you know, has the mandate of heaven, so that's <laughs> where he comes from. Uh, and then there are, you know, the progressive-looking candidates, at least. So this is uh, basically this group of three, I would say, Tony Preckwinkle, Amara Enya, and Lori Lightfoot. And, you know, basically all three of these people have been challenged on being progressives at all. I think some of them there's a better case than others to make. But, yeah, so before we get into, like, who is likely to win, like, who are these people? The, the, these three people in particular yeah like yeah. we can talk more about just like you know like daily mccarthy mendoza i mean these are fascinating characters in and of their own right we talked I mean, about granted that i it's very likely that the runoff will be between daily and somebody else yeah right. i i don't think that we should ignore talking about who he is yeah i kind of um, want to get to the better case scenarios before we get to the worst case yeah, scenarios sh- but. sure so <laughs> So, okay, so Lori Lightfoot, um, she was, like, one of the first candidates to announce she was running, and um, she's a former Chicago Police Board president. She was appointed by Rahm in 2015 to be the head of the police board. She also led the city's police accountability task force, which, again, was, like, the Rahm's, like, blue ribbon commission to uh, determine how racist and messed up the Chicago Police Department is, and do it sort of separately and before the Department of Justice uh, released their report on this very same issue. So she's a former federal prosecutor and has some progressive independent bona fides, but it, it's she's somebody who, to me, is like suspiciously waffling on a lot of what seems to me to be like progressive no-brainers. Like, you mentioned she was a federal prosecutor, then she was on uh, the police, what was it, she was the president of the police police board, yeah. board, and then she was on the police oversight committee, Yeah. and her cell is kind of, because she was on all those cop positions, she's anti-cop. <laughs> well, the police board is supposedly this sort of police oversight entity, but they are not, they, like, they're, they're essentially a toothless uh, group of people. And, uh, they, they, well, okay. They were the ones to who delayed fair, the, uh, Reykjavik 
Lakia, right? yeah. So, so they did not want to fire Dante Servan, the Chicago cop who was drunk and shot into a crowd of people and killed Rakia Boyd, who was just a bystander uh, hanging out, you know, in the front in in the park with her friends. So she, so Lori Lightfoot, so so the police board. I don't want to say that they're toothless people. They're definitely that that institution is a toothless institution and doesn't does not have any kind of track record of delivering. And many kind of meaningful challenges to how the police department operates or what the mayor wants from the police. So, so yeah, so she's got all of this, this history of these like actual law enforcement and law enforcement adjacent quote unquote oversight roles. But essentially she is a person who people in power like to call when they need to appear to be doing something about a police related egregious problem. Which I don't know if that's like a great selling point. She, she's definitely not for CPAC. She's not. She she. There's you know a movement in Illinois now to um, lift the statewide ban on rent control. Right. In order to try to open up some sort of conversation about it on a local level here in Chicago, because right now there's like a prohibition on any kind of rent control in the state. She. All I recommend for people who are interested in more details of that uh, our episode with Brian Bennett before the gubernatorial election. We talked a little bit about the lift the ban campaign. Yeah, and you can also um, read a story I wrote uh, for the reader a couple of years ago called um, "The Secret History of Illinois' Ban on Rent Control," which is all about how we got this crazy law and how it came from Alec and all these other like right wing interests. You know, the Tony Preckwinkle and Amara Enya, the other sort of progressive ish candidates are very squarely for you know lifting the ban it's an easy position to have if you're running for mayor of chicago because what you're saying if you're saying you're for lifting the ban is that you want the state legislature to do something so it doesn't actually bind you to doing anything if you're saying you support that right and it's also something that is a no-brainer because it's like it doesn't you're not saying you're going to institute rent control like it's like it, it and you're even you could even argue that what you're saying is you know you want municipalities to be able to make these decisions about you know what what happens in their communities like yeah, it's, it's an almost easy like self-determination a, even 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 republicans could get behind something like that but the fact that she won't come out and say it to me just says that she's very hesitant to upset real estate interests who might be donating to her campaign which is you know it's it just yeah it's not it's not great i don't i don't i i don't know it's not a great selling point basically yeah and basically Um, i heard about her early on in the campaign and i haven't since except in terms of derision from progressives i feel like like i feel like uh, she is still counted among the like lefter candidates who have a shot but I feel like more and more I've heard about Tony Preckwinkle and Amara Anya as yeah. the choose I mean, she's she's definitely I would say Lori Lightfoot would be like a better mayor for the city than Bill Daly or Susanna Mendoza. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, everybody else, but on that, you know, the rest of the ballot. But like I to me she doesn't seem like she's no Harold Washington. I mean, none of these people are Harold Washington. Right, right. That but, much is clear. But um, of those three, I would say that she's least exciting of those top three. Yeah. 
uh, of the top, you know, per year. Yes, policy. yes. <laughs> My faves. Yeah, so then Amara Enya is uh, this candidate who sort of came out of nowhere. She did run for mayor in 2015, but, like, didn't really get anywhere. She, I, I think she may not have even made the ballot. She is a community organizer and has uh, worked in municipal government before in the Chicago area, like, as a city manager in one of the suburbs, and... Um, she sort of has this background of, of, of being like a policy consultant and she's based, uh, on the West side of the city and is, that's kind of where she roots herself as a community organizer. She became a, like a, a talked about person in this race, um, after Kanye West gave her like $75,000 pretty, uh, like earlier this year. Was that before or after the Chance the Rapper endorsement? Before. So okay. this was, this was, I'm sorry, this was not earlier this year. This was early 2018. And also is the, that before or after Kanye West became like a full on Trump supporter? <laughs> no, it was after for wow. sure. Yeah. yeah. So Kanye West gives her all this money. Then Chance the, Rap- the Rapper starts backing her. He's her biggest donor now. He's like, um, He's given her something like $400,000, $500,000, something like that. Way more than money has. And um, she Cheap. is in many ways like saying all the things lefty progressives want to hear in the city. But I find her campaign to be not... It's like almost half-baked. It's like, it's like she... she She's trying to make a broader appeal, I think, because, she, you know, her campaign knows that they don't have a very strong base amongst a lot of people other than, like, younger millennials and people who, you know, put stock in Chance the Rapper, and maybe they know on some level that it's hard to hinge a candidacy on that because, like, what are the chances that those people will actually vote? But I hate to be bleak about it, but because I, I very much believe in, like, appealing to... To, to young people in order to like build a political presence but but that followed up yeah i mean so 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 the the thing that really i think got a lot of people sour on her is that she one of the other candidates um who was did not make the ballot who was running for mayor who's like a, a kind of a longtime presence in local politics dorothy brown she is currently the clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County, which is a position that most people have no idea about, but it's a county-level executive position uh, in which her job involves overseeing record-keeping for the court system. So all criminal and civil cases. This is the largest unified court system in the United States. They have millions and millions and millions of boxes of records that they have to keep and digitize. And it's a vitally important position because, I mean, sometimes it, it's a matter of, like, people's life or death or spending the rest of your time in prison or not um, if you've been wrongfully convicted. Like, a lot of this hinges on proper record-keeping. And so that's the office she oversees, and notoriously badly. And there's, like, been an ongoing federal investigation into job selling and corruption in her office, and a couple of indictments, one or two indictments, have have happened of, of people who worked in that office for job selling. So she's, like... I, I don't know. I think a lot of people, this sort of like white, liberal, media-adjacent uh, people in the city kind of see her as a joke, but she's got a pretty big base in the black community, and sort of the way it's talked about often is that there's like 
black church church going women this is what I've support seen, yeah. Dorothy Brown. But I I think that it's almost like this very pejorative way of talking about her base because I don't doubt that she has a base. But I don't think that there are like people that she just like owns who will just like blindly do whatever she wants. And so she endorsed Amara Enya, and Amara Enya kind of warmly accepted this endorsement. They had this like joint press conference about it. And to me, what doesn't make any sense is that like people keep saying that the reason Amara did this was because she doesn't have a base and she, Dorothy does, and nobody else won Dorothy's endorsement, and so therefore she offered it to Amara Enya, which may be true about Dorothy. It could very well be that, like, I mean, Dorothy Brown and Tony Preckwinkle are, like, mortal enemies. And a lot of these other candidates, I'm sure they wouldn't care to take to be affiliated with Dorothy Brown. And for Amara, this is, like, a, a kind of a big institutional, well-known politician locally offering her her support, which could be a big deal. But what I don't understand is how somebody who's a community organizer couldn't work to build support in the community that's, like, Dorothy Brown's base without having like you know locking hands with Dorothy Brown yeah I feel um, like I'm really out of my depth on this but just the kind of context I've seen her like church connections mentioned in it seems almost like like wine mom is used in left circles that it's like you know your liberals that you can't really count on with this like tinge of uh, misogyny to it that like black people uh, you know and I really I'm only getting the vaguest sense of this that it's like you know, they're referring to a kind of demographic in the community that feels more connection to her. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing that, except for it's people you can count on, because no one has a voter turnout rate like black women do, right. older black women. So they're definitely voters you can count on. What I'm disputing is this notion that they are these just like, you know, sheep who of follow course. Dorothy Brown to wherever right. she wants them to, and that there is some sort of monolith and... Um, I just think that I suspect that Amara lost more friends than she gained by entwining herself with this person and yeah. and everything she stands for. It also seems like Amara has some imaginary friends. Uh, <laughs> like <T-bum. laughs> She has her own T-bone. So uh, this is from the Girl, I Guess, Voter Guide. Um, and, you know, there's a whole background to this. I've seen it, you know, uh, getting passed around a lot recently for people to inform themselves about the Chicago election. But uh, in the Girl, I Guess, Voter Guide's uh, you know, entry about Amara Enya, they say, uh, the way Amara talks about her record can be head-scratching. She highlights her work with the Center for Cooperative Economics, but the fact is she launched that organization right before announcing her campaign and hasn't actually done anything with it yet. She also presents herself as a lawyer, but in fact she doesn't practice law. She has a law degree but never took the bar. Yeah, and you know, they go on to say she has a ton of qualifications otherwise, but like, I don't really hear people bring up specifics about them, and that's probably just, you know, the way the media is and the circles I'm in. But, I mean, this stuff about, like, the organization she founded right before her campaign that, like, seems kind of fake. I I think it was you who said um, at Monkey Wrench that, like, she uh, is for lifting the ban whenever she's asked, but she kind of dodges on local rent control issues. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is, like, one. this is as much as, like, it's, like weird that Lori Lightfoot won't just say that she's for lifting the ban. I find that a candidate who's supposed to be as progressive and left as Amara won't talk about like actual rent control ideas and policies for Chicago beyond lifting the ban. That's that to me is strange. And you know, the Tribune had this whole like investigation into her tax problems of the past. That just makes and, her cool to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just think that it's like really uh, an irrelevant 
I mean, it's just like we have a guy in the governor's mansion who unscrewed toilets in his house <laughs> to pay less in property taxes. Like, right. it's just so it's so not uh, to me. That's not a, a, an, any kind of like disqualifier that she's had some sort of tax issues in the past. Um, that that's like a story that like you know a wine mom is like, ooh, maybe I should vote for her. Right. <laughs> um, not, you know, no hate to wine moms, though. Um, so, <laughs> some of the best moms are wine moms. Yeah, some of the best moms are wine moms. Um, so, so uh, yeah, so Amara, to me, it's just like, it's just kind of the, I've just had this feeling of like a deflating balloon. Like, I feel like a lot of people who really want a big change in Chicago were pinning a lot of hopes on her, and there's just like not a lot of there there. So then we're left with Tony Preckwinkle, which this is a great text I got from my friend yesterday. Um, <laughs> that 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 the campaign slogan for her should just be Tony Preckwinkle, just vote Tony and move on. <laughs> so Tony, so she has uh, this campaign has been completely baffling to me because Tony has been an elected official in the city since like 1991. She had like several terms as alderman in which she had plenty of things to be proud of in her record as a, as an alderman. Uh, then she's been county board president for a couple of terms, also accomplished uh, a lot of good things for the county in terms of finances, in terms of, I mean, the girl I guess guy talks about how she like passed this awful soda tax and then uh, you know, then then she had to lay off people when it when it was uh, repealed. But the reason she had to push the soda tax was because the county did not have enough money to fund its basic operations in order to have like a functioning court system, a a, a functioning you know a, like the basic services that we think about in terms of public health. And like the criminal justice system are all paid for mostly by the county. Other than like Chicago cops obviously aren't paid for by the county. But as soon as you have a criminal or civil case in the city of Chicago, that entire system is paid for by the county. So there's been like a long-term structural deficit there, all tracing back to the fact that in the 90s the county board passed a property tax cap that they that they just haven't touched since like 1996 or something like that. So the county has left like billions of dollars on the table in tax revenue over the years because they passed this stupid property tax cap that was like very in vogue in the early 90s after all yeah. the tax revolts of the 70s and 80s. So And I'm sure people, it's hard to oppose that now. Well, people like. on the county board, it's like a non-starter with the county legislators uh, it, to like talk about not even just uncapping the property tax, but even just taking the inflation adjustment on it, which they have also not taken for like since 1996, even though they're entitled to it, given the law that they passed about it. So everyone just has to pay three Furbies every year. Yeah. So, so they're not, so like that was like a non-starter, even though she floated the idea before this soda tax thing. And so then what is the county left with in order to get more revenue? It's like you can tax goods and services, but we don't tax services in Illinois. That's a state issue. So all you can do is tax, is, is do is do a consumption taxes. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's regressive. I don't disagree with that. But the fact that like that, her push for the soda tax is not a, like a symptom of her not being progressive. It's a symptom. And in fact, she's what what's impressive about that whole debacle is that 
that happened, it looked awful for her. The messaging around it was dumb because she could have pushed it out as this like giant public health, you know, sort of paternalistic public health campaign. Uh, like, like some cities would do. Yeah, but like <laughs> instead it was all about, she was like very frank as she's wont to do about saying like we need money to fund our services and like this is what we have right. to do. And of course like the soda lobby just seized on that as like, you know, being this is like coming down on poor people who drink disproportionately more soda right. and um you know to fund your like little government services right. of course poor people are the ones that are also disproportionately need of functioning county government services but the county did not they fucked up the messaging on that i don't know can i curse yes yeah so they, curse, yeah. So, so, so they so they so they fucked up the messaging all around that so but what's impressive about tony is that everybody thought that this was going to be the end of her political career this whole debacle and no one gave a shit like she got reelected, no problem to county board president last year. She, it, it's, it's like people are still with her. So I think that speaks to like the test that that speaks to kind of her legacy and decades of establishing a certain kind of presence in the city. So the thing that's so so given all, all of that, what I just said, it is baffling to me that her entire campaign for mayor has not been about that. It's been about these, like, political connections that she has and these, like, messaging missteps that her campaign staff have, have done. So the biggest, her biggest problem right now is that, like, she's connected with all of these, like, power players in the city, including this indicted alderman, Ed Burke, who's, who's, who's a very <laughs> powerful alderman, chair of the city council finance committee, is, like, the portal to all kinds of Democratic Party power and money in the state and the city. And so she was like close allies with him. There this was... is Ed Burke. Uh, we probably won't have time to get into this super fun story, but Ed Burke, you know, just got indicted by the FBI and he, uh, they raided his office and they found 23 guns there. Uh, he also was, you know, extorting people. And one of the people he was extorting money for, I mean, yes. Yeah. One of the people he was extorting money for was, was Tony. Tony, Tony Preckle. Preckle. Yeah. So the huh. indictment is based on him trying to shake down, um, uh, a Burger King franchise owner, ironically, the same, the very same Burger King, uh, location in, in front of which Laquan McDonald was killed. Um, just some fun Chicago coincidence. Yeah. So that, the owner of that Burger King location wanted some sort of zoning change or some sort of thing with the city or maybe to open a new franchise or something like that. And, and basically Ed Burke was like, okay, well, if you're gonna, if you, if you want this, you gotta like, like bring some business to my tax law to, to my to my tax firm because Ed Burke is also a property tax lawyer, which is there's this giant racket in Cook County whereby tax assessments are artificially lowered for rich property owners of of of, of in wealthy communities and artificially heightened for uh, poorer property owners so that the tax burden disproportionately fall affects poor homeowners and business owners and all the system is kept afloat through this network of, of uh, property tax appeals lawyers who will like if you're a rich person and you like Donald Trump for example and you want to pay less in property taxes on your downtown tower you go to Ed Burke and you say hey like I want like a reduction in my property taxes Ed Burke works his magic um, gets an appeal for your assessment and then you get to pay less and so that is exactly what happened with Trump, right? right? And all of the top property tax appeals lawyers in the city of Chicago are also elected officials. 
So, uh, or most, you know, like, so the two top firms are Edberg's firm, and even above that is Mike Madigan's firm, and Mike Madigan is, we really don't have time to get into this, but <laughs> yeah. he is the most important politician in the state of Illinois. It would take us 50 years to, yeah. uh, which is how long Edberg has been an alderman for. Yes. Yeah. He's and, been an alderman since the 60s. Yes, and he, and he, for, and he basically built, uh, his, his original sin, I mean, essentially, is, 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 a, is being like a hardcore segregationist and being one of the white aldermen who formed this allegiance after Harold Washington was elected to block his entire legislative agenda and not let anything move forward that he wanted to move forward with. For people who uh, don't know anything about Chicago, Harold Washington is like a historically beloved first black mayor of Chicago. Yeah, the only good mayor of Chicago, yeah. people say. Yeah. <laughs> so Ed Burke was on an FBI wiretap shaking down, trying to shake down this, like, Burger King franchise owner, and he fucked with the wrong Burger King franchise owner. Because it <laughs> turns out that that guy was, like, some sort of Burger King baron who, like, owns more Burger Kings than anybody else in America. I love Chicago. So, so, so he was like, okay, so if you want this thing from the city, some sort of permits or whatever, you're going to need to kick some business to my law firm and also give a campaign contribution to Tony Preckwinkle. Yeah. So that's... Um, She's been allied with him for a long time, been getting money from him for a long time. And there's and another uh, there's another alderman who wore a wire to trap this guy. Oh, no. Uh, right. Well, it, the wire was, there's an alderman who is now resigned, who is, he's not running for re-election. The Solis, right. Yeah. Well, actually, I guess he's not resigned as alderman, but he's... He's, he's just not running he's for... He's not running for re-election, and now we know why, which is that he wore a wire, and among... Among other things, uh, that may have more incriminating information about Ed Burke and uh, other big players in local politics. So, basically, uh, Tony Preckwinkle's entire mayoral campaign has been marred by these associations with these like fabulously corrupt people, uh, allegedly, uh, who <laughs> who um, who just also are seen as, as the perpetuators of the in, um, many of the inequities in. Uh, in the state and the city. And um, there's also been some just like met stupid messaging mishaps, like the way that sh the, the kind of like campaign fundraising emails that have gone out and stuff. And so it seems like, and I've gotten hit up by, uh, you know, canvassers for Tony Preckwinkle who basically say every time I talk to them that she's the most progressive person who has a shot to win. Like they advertise her like she's the pickle on your sandwich. Like, yeah, wouldn't you like it better if right. she was there? Like, it seems like even the people who are all in for her really don't love her. Uh, I've heard from campaign workers that basically, like, you know, uh, she just messed up her shot at coming at Susana Mendoza. Like, she had a shot of kicking Mendoza off the ballot uh, through petition challenges and that a bunch of her own signatures are obviously fake, and so, like, that's why she can't come after her. Uh, it seems like she, you know, came at the king and just missed. Like, she... Uh, it, it seems like she's still ahead in the polls, like she has a shot of winning, at least getting to the runoff. But uh, I think a lot of people are really disappointed in what she could have done if she had done a better job. Yeah, I mean, the campaign has just been like really poorly run and managed. But I, I just, I don't know. The worst thing that could happen, and I know, like, this may be, this may be really uncouth for me to say as a journalist, but I am a citizen of the city first, and I... I strongly believe that the worst thing that could happen is that Bill Daly is the mayor of the city. Uh, yeah. Because that guy is not going to be accountable to anybody who is living like a real 
normal existence in the city who like just is like regular people like this this is not going to be a, this is going to be another mayor one percent you know and i think it's sh- like the the arrogance with which his entire campaign has rolled out has just been completely baffling um you know, just par- the, it's sort of like this parachuting in quality to it. And yet he has a shot of winning. Yeah, because everybody knows the daily. You right. know, people, people assume he doesn't go to any of the forums. He doesn't, he doesn't get go, asked yeah, any which questions. Yeah, which says so much. I feel like it says so much about his attitude towards people in the city, towards towards even just the I guess concept of having to like you know engage in a debate with other candidates and face questions and stuff like that. So it's just uh, it's it's really a, a sad. It's it's kind of a, a sad dynamic, but a lot of people really loved Old Man Daly. I would say that a lot of the support for Richard M. Daly, his son, stemmed from people because there's a lot of diehard Old Man Daly fans in the city. I mean, as much as he was like a, a, a segregationist and j- just like a awful in so many ways, like I think a lot of people in the city associate Richard J. Daly's time with like this like sort of mid-century American kind of like flourishing in some way yeah Um, and i think a lot of people like that he cracked heads during the democratic convention i think they see him as like someone who didn't go down without a fight when the 60s came for him yeah and a lot of people like the fact that he like put you know sent out the national guard to like essentially like create a you know keep rioters out of white neighborhoods i said to him very emphatically and very definitely that an order be issued immediately under his signature to shoot to kill any arsonist or anyone with a Molotov cocktail in their hand in Chicago to fire a building because they're potential murderers and to issue a police order to shoot to maim or cripple anyone looting any stores in our city. He'll vote for it. He'll vote for any guy that you want. Well, can you get him? I surely can. Uh, where is he? Is well, he's there? in the other room. Well, you have uh, uh, Kenny. Tell, tell Kenny that, uh, to put him on the wire here. Or would you rather get him when he gets back up to his office? That's better, otherwise, because he might think... I, the last time I, I told him, now look at, I don't give a goddamn what it is. You vote for anything the president wants, and this is the way it will be, and this is the way we want it, and that's the way it's going to be. That'd be good. I'll get him as soon as he gets back to the... What are they trying to do? They got you hanging under... Well, we're going to, we have a chance to pull this out. But yeah, you see, of course, these guys... It doesn't they, matter with our own fellas. Uh, that's right. Well, that's good. Crawl is uh, Philadelphia. Billy got him. And if you can get Crow, uh, Lubinati. Okay, good. Fine. Thanks, Dick. In the heat of emotion and riot, some pl- policemen may have overacted. But to judge the entire police department by the alleged action of a few would be just as unfair as to judge our entire younger generation by the action of this mob. Well, this is a terrible thing. I've been in many demonstrations all across the South, but I can say that I have never seen, even in Mississippi and Alabama, mobs as hostile and as hate-filled as I've seen in Chicago. Just, I mean, it it, it is what it is. Uh, the, dailies are, the dailies are this, like, powerhouse kind of presence in the city and always will be, and the thing that concerns me so much is that a daily administration i just am convinced that of all of those candidates other than maybe paul vallis who is also not beholden to regular people at all um i think and, and is just like a neoliberal uh of the of the purest kind i think of, of all the people a daily administration is like a guarantee that like people pressure 
on city government will like be almost impossible because yeah. he's not he doesn't you know he's not going to own anything to anybody who actually has to live and work in the city like yeah. who actually has right. to like use Chicago public schools who actually depends on city services and there'll be vanity projects and there will be you know maybe some some kind of splashy uh, you know, initiatives that make the city look good and maybe there'll be stuff for the kids, but like, you know, the Lincoln Yards TIFF, that's as good as done if we have a right. deal. And that's why we all have to think strategically as voters because we've talked about the runoff system. So how likely is it that out of this election, Bill Daly, uh, it's between Bill Daly and one other person, and because Anyaya and Preckwinkle split the left vote, it ends up being between Bill Daly and someone, you know, like Mendoza or like any of these uh, corporatist candidates. I don't know. People always ask me that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Do you know, historically, are the polls pretty accurate in Chicago, or do they have no idea what's really going on? Well... I, you know, reading the methodology for them, they seem to be properly scientific polls, but the margin is like 13, like 13 and 14 percent right now, but the margin of error is it's like, like 4%. three. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's really, right. you know, it's very, it's not very meaningful and a lot of people are undecided. And I just have a suspicion that when people get like called by pollsters, if they're even going to pick up the phone and participate in this thing. Like, like it, they may just say daily because they, that's the name they know. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm skeptical about the polls. Ben, Ben Jarofsky, his advice is always like, you should vote your heart in a primary and vote strategically in a general election. And I guess transferred into this situation, it's like, maybe you should vote your heart in the first round and then, you know, obviously vote strategically in the runoff. But I don't know. I feel like I'm not excited about any of these people, so why not already vote strategically? Right. Right. It My heart is not behind any of them. I mean, Chicago, you talk about like a primary and a general. Chicago is such a weird one-party state that it doesn't apply in that situation. And, uh, you know, looking over the options and people's fighting over Crackwinkle and Enya, it made me wish there was another party in Chicago that they could have their own primary and say, okay, this is the progressive one. And I, you know, it, I guess it's impossible to do, but like, that's why there are parties so that you can whittle down your people into like, okay, this is the one to support. Just because it's something you mentioned, I, it is something that I find interesting in kind of the analysis and strategizing about these candidates is, and I actually, I did want to ask you, you know, you mentioned Tony Preckwinkle has accomplishments that she should be proud of. I would love to hear about some because I feel like she just does not. That's the thing. Why is she not talking about the shit she should be proud of? Yeah. Like, okay, you want me to tell you? Please, about what, yeah. Okay, so. So that I can tell anyone. <laughs> so, so, so I, now I feel like in this, I'm in this weird position of being like a Tony booster. You were the first person I saw make any kind yeah. of convincing case for her. And like, maybe, it's. I mean, maybe, <laughs> damn, maybe I should be running Tony's campaign. <laughs> honestly, the people doing it now are not very good at it. One of the most important things that she's done in her time as county board president is that, and this is is not insignificantly due to her adept political wheeling and dealing with some of these like gross people but essentially she after the affordable care act passed she immediately started lobbying washington to make chicago its own recipient of medicaid reimbursement 
and through the Affordable Care Act. So essentially, the way that the ACA works, the way that the expansion of Medicaid is funded is that it's primarily, like it's stimulated by federal government money to the states that then allows them to expand their Medicaid, Medicare, state Medicare programs in order to fund more poor people who don't have health insurance. Um, in order to offer care, and so, and then some, you know, red states didn't expand Medicare, and so that was that. But of course, Illinois did. And what Tony did was that, knowing the dysfunction in state government in Illinois, she did not want to have to be dependent on Springfield in order to reimburse care that the county was already providing for free, because the county is a mandated charity healthcare provider. So now the ACA comes along, and suddenly they thought they have a way to just insure people hmm. through county care, which is like the county insurance program, and get that reimbursed through Medicaid and shore up the finances of the hospital, which even like a, a few years before she came into office was on the brink of losing its accreditation because it was so mismanaged and in such horrible condition and had no money. So, and this is this is the Stroger Hospital, which is the county hospital, which is like the the most important healthcare provider in the state in, in the city of Chicago and like treats a disproportionate amount of, of people who have gunshot wounds and like it's just like a very important public healthcare institution. So she goes to Washington after the ACA passes and essentially lobbies the shit out of the federal government to make Chicago a direct recipient of that Medicaid Medicaid reimbursement. So not only is there like an expansion of Medicaid in the whole state of Illinois, but you have Chicago Cook County having its own direct tap into that federal money in order to be able to like more efficiently fund its charity care. Hmm. They 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 uh, expanded insurance to something like 300,000 or 500,000 people, like hmm. massively. Wow. And in the last like two or three years, the hospital has been operating in the black for the first time in history. Huh. Like they, like she like balanced she like also created like an independent governing structure for the hospital too. So she like appoints the head of their board, but essentially they're like not so entwined with the county municipal government anymore. Hmm. But essentially like the, the, it's it's it, the hospital is like in so in so much better standing than it was before she came into office. So I feel like that like she like literally like that work has saved so many lives in the city, right? Like, and, and of course, a huge amount of it is due to just the sheer fact of the ACA. But like, you know, she, nobody, nobody, she didn't have to like go, go and do that. She didn't have to like put in the initiative of, of like making this carve out for, for the county to, to, to make sure that, that, you know, that they didn't, that they weren't like waiting for this money from the state that was like in the middle of all these like, budget impasses and whatever so like the fact that she's not campaigning on that is wild to me like this is this is like one of her crowning achievements in her entire like political career and i feel like it's like a very important it's like very important and maybe it's too maybe the political you know gurus who devise campaigns find that kind of shit to be like too complicated when you're trying to get it because something across to a voter but you know that is that is so much more like monumentally important than her involvement in the Laquan McDonald like because she wasn't not involved in information about his murder coming out. Hmm. She she so her actual involvement in that, from my understanding, was that so after Laquan McDonald was killed, 
she there was a, a brief news article in the Tribune or something that mentioned this incident, and that was that. And somebody in the Chicago Police Department had contacted Jamie Calvin, the journalist and like human rights advocate who who was the person who sort of like first started breaking this. Somebody he had a source in the Chicago Police Department who contacted him to say like this is not what happened. Like this little news story about this incident, this is not what happened here. So that put Jamie into the process of trying to find some sort of documentation about this incident. And he I don't remember why it was that Tony became involved. But essentially, she was the person that 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 provided him with the autopsy information hmm. that proved that what the extent to, to, of of his injuries and stuff, which was the the thing that allowed him to write that sixteen shot story, right. which then led to Will Calloway and um and a, and the, and the community activist and then the journalist to who's now running for office right um to to file uh this FOIA request to get the video and then you know the video is really what sets the scandal off but like Tony was this she did play a a, a, a not unimportant role in this huh. but like making a commercial like she was some sort of champion hmm. around this issue it, it you know just like again like that it just all it does is like create a bad taste in people's mouths 16 shots nine in the back facts that the police and city officials tried to bury it was Tony who made sure Laquan McDonald's autopsy went public. Right, and because, you know, as soon as you know that, you think, okay, well, you could have done so much more. Yeah. Like, why are you standing on this person's body? Right, exactly. She, 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 yeah, essentially, so she's, like, what, doing, like, like weaponizing this whole tragedy for political gain. It's just, again, it's, like, just bad, it's, like, bad messaging. It's yeah. bad, whoever's consulting her, it's, like, it's, like, bad strategy like it's bad PR <laughs> and you say Laquan McDonald to me and I think okay everyone who was an alderman then should have been executed you know like any association with that era makes me think okay well if you were a powerful person there like I don't want you you know she is the one who got she didn't do I mean she definitely did not she wasn't like she wasn't an ally of the state's attorney Anita Alvarez and you know now the current state attorney we have who's like actually like some sort of progressive prosecutor in as much as you can be right, in that yeah. realm like that is she was chief of staff for tony preckwinkle yeah kim fox was so right so but but tony was not like out there beating the drums like you know like she wasn't she wasn't as she was she was playing it safe just like the rest of them and probably partly because you know ed burke was giving her kickbacks and because she gave Ed Burke's son a hundred thousand dollar a year job right I mean, like yeah so she, all of this has become like the meat and potatoes of this campaign I think you can make an argument to say well you know that was what her what allowed her to get anything done in other areas when she has some kind of progressive zeal. Yeah. I, I right. don't buy that argument all the time but like at least you could uh, you know, make that argument if you were basing it on her achievements, but I don't hear any of right. it. And I feel like she could build yeah. an entire campaign just based on being honest with people about these shady, you know, these unsavory connections, but saying, like, look, like, this is what I did. Yeah, like, yeah, like, this is, you know, I, I, I was involved with these people in this way. But, like, here's what I did with the power I gained through that. Right. And now she's in a position where she could be mayor and she could have a lot more power and a lot more self-determination in what she sets the agenda Yeah, to exactly. And, I mean, it's it's uh, the other thing. I mean, the hospital was just, like, one of the things that really stood out to me. But, um, you know, she also, she was, like, 
she's actually been like a criminal justice system. Like she wanted to close the juvenile detention center. That was the very first thing she wanted to do when she got into office. Like she has fought, she and the chief judge of the of the Cook County Circuit Court, which oversees the juvenile detention center, are mortal enemies because he was the alderman against whom she ran three times unsuccessfully. He was like a Harold Washington guy, mm -hmm. and she ran three times against him unsuccessfully, finally beat him in the early 90s, and then he became chief judge and has stayed in that position ever since. So they are like not, not there is not like a good partnership between them. What's his and, name? Uh, Timothy Evans. Okay. So I think that a lot of their kind of problems with achieving her like decriminalization of youth agenda has had to do with like the very bad working relationship between the two of them. But still, like the population of the JTDC is way down on her watch. Like she has been very front and center about like advocating for that and I mean there's just like I don't even you know I don't I don't even know the full extent of all the good things she's done but I just what I what I she, she talks about it in her time as alderman getting some affordable housing into her ward and that is like a constant refrain of hers on this campaign and I just don't under, not that it's not important although I do also know that when she was the fourth 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 ward alderman she had like a very mixed record on affordable housing like she was not like a champion for, you know, housing everybody and stuff like that. It mm -hmm. wasn't that simple. But like the fact that she keeps hearkening back to that and not to these like more recent, much more significant achievements in her time as, as county board president is like, you know, I don't I don't understand. And I think and I and I really do think that a lot of this has to do with this like toxic combination of like her having like bad people around, like people who are not good at running the campaign around her, like people who aren't pulling their weight essentially, like people who maybe she's worked with before but like weren't ready for prime time. Right. And the fact that she is like like a, a deeply uncharismatic, curmudgeonly type of person personally. Like she is so like not a retail politician. She's not good at that. So, and again, another thing, like, being as bad as she is interpersonally, like, she has somehow managed to have this, like, very long and successful career as a politician locally. Like, you know, I think that says something about wh what she does for people that, you know, that she can be, like, in many ways a deeply unpleasant person, but still, like, pretty popular. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. And, it, and if she loses, I'm convinced that it'll be because it'll be, like campaign sabotage like hmm. self-sabotaging she'll have no one to blame stu stupid <laughs> stupid campaigning basically like yeah. bad bad campaigning bad bad <laughs> because you know it's i feel like in politics people can get out from under a lot of shade and like associations with like people people pe you you can redirect the conversation so many different ways and i just don't think that, like like if people are still thinking Tony Parkwinkle, Ed Burke, that's the campaign's problem. Like, that's right. them not messaging right. That's them not, like, campaigning correctly. If people are, if that's still the only thing that people associated with. Not that people, I really don't think people are stupid, but I just think that, like, the county is an obscure institution. A lot of people don't know what the county does or what the role of the county board president is. And, you know, for lack, for, in, in that vacuum of information, you, all you have is the stupid commercials, you know? Right. Also, I think a lot of voters don't really care about corruption that much. 
like, I mean, it, it speaks to how poorly she's campaigning, that it's becoming the front and center issue. But, like, I think a lot of people in Chicago were basically willing to accept, like, yeah, this is Chicago. Like, if you have any kind of record, you probably are corrupt. But what are you going to do for me? Like, will you be corrupt for me? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the idea that she's getting so caught up on this uh, issue of her connection to Ed <coughs> is surprising. Yeah. And also, who isn't connected to Ed Burke? Right, like, right. Everybody, like, he literally was the most powerful per- person in city council. Well, if everybody... you're Bill Daly and you have no political experience in elected office, you don't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't need Ed Burke. He's got, like, Wall Street money. He was Obama's chief of staff. Right? After Rome. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have two Obama chiefs of staff in a row. <laughs> yeah. And, com- and Commerce Secretary, too. Wow. Bill Daly. Oh, my God. Does he always pick a Chicago rich person for Commerce Secretary? Who was the one? <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure. Hold Wasn't on. No, Rickens Penny Pritzker was oh, Penny Pritzker. That's Commerce what I'm Secretary. Of. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. Wow. Bill Daly. Um, <laughs> so much better. <laughs> Bill Daly. So he served as the chief of staff after Rom. He was the Commerce Secretary under Clinton. Oh. Um, Surplus, baby. He also, he also served on the executive committee of J.P. Morgan Chase and was a candidate for governor of Illinois in 2014 until dropping out of the race. There you go, Armani Daly, you know, former former executive committee member of J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> to like, be fair... How can you blame someone for yeah. taking Ed Burke money? He is a son of heaven, though. Yeah, what can you do? Well, speaking of Obama, he's... He's not moving back to Chicago, right? He's he's in D.C. still, but then he's going to move to New York, right? Is he going to move to New York or? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like how's he going to do like what the Clintons Hawaii? do? And uh, is he really shooting his Netflix show? And I don't. I, I was saying I don't think he's going to. He got a Netflix show. Oh yeah, he got a huge Netflix deal. Yeah. Oh, for what? What's he's going to make a cartoon budget? about uh, going through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> The one person who got an Netflix deal is not doing a raunchy cartoon. Uh, What is he going to do? I don't know. He's going to do some, like, lame documentary or something. I mean, he should just, like, revive Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. That would be a not-lame way to use that platform. Just do Southside with You, prequels, younger, younger. A documentary? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But while he is not moving to Chicago, the Obama Library is in the process of being built? Have they, like, broke ground on it? Have no, they they're still... Well, now everything's be tied up because the Friends of the Parks lawsuit. <laughs> so, in the end, while the fight around this has centered so much on, like, the community benefits agreement, right. so people in... A lot of people in the neighborhoods, neighborhoods around where that library is going to be built, you know, it, these are some of the poorest neighborhoods in Chicago, and people have been organizing and demanding that there be a community benefits agreement which the Obama Foundation didn't want to do, yep. which would Obama have personally opposed. Yeah, he like which would have obligated yeah. you know the that that jobs be given to the local community um, in construction and like running the center, um, all kinds of sort of uh, anti gentrification measures essentially. And these are also the areas that are being devastated. I mean, this is right around the University of Chicago, which is just wrecking right. that whole. And area. I believe the Obama Library has, is affiliated. It will be affiliated with the University of Chicago. Y- yeah, I. Mm, I don't know about that. That I that it's going to be. That, I don't. I, that was my understanding as well. I don't know about, about any kind of association with each other. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I'm sure it'll be yeah. at least unofficially, right? Like right. it's going to appear on all the pamphlets and shit. And this was like last year, maybe 
Obama went down to the South Side and gave what I thought was an extremely condescending speech to, to the people there about the Obama Library, where he basically shrugged off the idea of, of signing a community benefits agreement. We've got such a long way to go in terms of economic development before you're even going to start seeing the prospect of significant gentrification. It, it, Malia's kids <laughs> might have to worry about that. Don't you know me better than that? Like, right. Don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Yeah. 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 Uh, so so that what can still happen is that the city could pass a community benefits ordinance that would apply to the Obama Center, which, by the way, Tony Preckwinkle has a history of successfully organizing for, and when, when the Olympics were coming, like, she mm. pushed through an ordinance that would have had a community benefits agreement for the Olympic Village right. that was partially going to be on the south side. Tax so, dollar condoms. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so uh, the city, essentially, and why candidates are being asked about this, especially in the wards, like in the 5th Ward, where the library will actually be in the 20th Ward, which is like adjacent, it's in the Woodlawn area, um, and in, further south and South Shore as well, because people are really worried about gentrification. I mean, people are already saying that there is folks coming around trying to buy people's property, that rents are going up. Um, a lot of big companies own a lot of rental properties in those neighborhoods, and they stand, you know, to gain a lot. But the thing that's happening now is that this environmental conservation group is has a live lawsuit in federal court to block the construction of the presidential center because of its like impact on the environment and the park on the geese uh, something <laughs> like so so it's like uh, the friends of the parks the park. are 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 the reason why this is all held up huh. so ironically it's possible that this library wouldn't even get built because of this lawsuit huh. which i don't know personally i feel like you know the library should be here but there should be like right. it shouldn't be just like right. this vehicle for gentrification and i don't understand why you know the former president would not be for like like what what like I don't understand what does he have to gain from not having a CBA? I have not like deeply reported on this issue. So yeah. I don't know why it is that they don't want it. But um it's like a bad it's a bad look. But you know, I think that if this this what if I don't I can't even imagine what would happen if this like park district lawsuits essentially blocks this construction like permanently like would they choose another site or what exactly would happen but i mean they have to build it it's like right. every president has one so yeah well, have you ever been to a presidential library i have uh jimmy carter's i've been to Atlanta. jimmy carter's it's a nice it's a nice center yeah yeah and what are we gonna do without an animatronic beer summit <laughs> <laughs> What's the Obama library gonna have? <laughs> FDR had the New Deal. You know, yeah. World I'll tell you what it's not gonna have ketchup on hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that okay to wrap yeah, up on that? That's great. Great. Maya, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks. This was really informative. Thanks for having me. Uh, we could go on, honestly, for hours and hours. Yeah, There's so much that people don't know about Chicago <laughs> that they really should. And uh, it's gonna come bite us in the ass eventually. Uh, these people are just gonna keep going to the White House. Keep churning the machine out. Um, and people should check out the Backroom Deal podcast that I co-host with Ben Jarofsky, which will give you more of that infusion of Chicago politics. It's on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and on the Chicago Reader website. But 
Backroom deal. And Maya, you have a... Yeah, it's a great podcast. It's very short episodes, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. And you get so much information out of them. uh, And it's a great conversational tone. And Maya, there's a a special live episode coming up, right? Yes. uh, On election night, starting at 5 p.m. on the Chicago Reader Facebook page, we'll be live streaming, talking about the election, talking about the results as they roll in, having some guests call in where if you go to chicagoreader.com, you'll see we have information posted about the live stream. We have a call-in number and an email that you can use to contact us, a hashtag, and we would love to have a, a conversation going with everybody as as the uh, as the election night unfolds. Awesome. Great. People follow Maya on Twitter. We'll have it in the uh, description. Uh, you can plug it now, too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's follow me on Twitter. Yeah. M- at M-D-O-U-K-M-A-S. Cool. Uh, follow Maya on Twitter. Read the Chicago Reader. Really, her articles are incredible. Read the Reader, read and especially mm. read the Reader. reader. You, you, everybody who's in Chicago should hurry to get a Reader on Thursday, February twenty first, which is tomorrow. When this episode drops, or when this episode drops, <laughs> uh, it, because we have a very special reader staff designed board game called Aldermania Whoa. which is very fun to play and it's it's in the centerfold of the paper and I'm sure that um, it'll go like hotcakes and there's, there's going to be a PDF of it online as well That's awesome. but um, definitely grab the reader this week this issue I mean grab it every week but this issue in particular is is really special that's so cool oh we have up here is Capelmania what <laughs> 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 If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. Period.